Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our pre-Super Bowl service. I want to commend you for being here. You know, I know there's lots of dip to make and all that kind of stuff, and uh, we're glad that you're here, and we promise that we're going to give you a, a word from God as you go. We've been going through a series called Exodus, and that's usually the approach that we take through difficulty, isn't it? It's kind of like, Lord, get me out of here. Get me out of debt. Get me out of this problem. Get me out of this conflict. Get me out of this relationship. And then kind of we're always looking at promise, Lord, get me into this. Get me into that. And, and what you'll find from the book of Exodus is, is that God is not interested in pulling you out of everything. He's interested in walking through those things with you. And I think sometimes when we talk about a spirit-led church and a spirit-filled life, we think that the Holy Spirit is like lightning and he hits you and then he animates you and something crazy and extreme happens and then all of a sudden it lifts and he's gone. Where in fact, actually, a spirit-led life is where we live our lives natural and from time to time, God shows up and does something super. And that's where supernatural comes from. He's a supernatural God. There's people in our church who've been healed from cancer. There's people in our church who've been delivered from drug addictions, marriages saved. And there is no problem that you can face, no plague that you can be in the middle of, no problem that you could be uh, trying to break free from, that you, that you, if you turned to God and cried out for help, that sooner or later he couldn't pull you out of that. Amen? Because that's who he is. And this morning, what I want to do is talk to you from Exodus chapter 7 through 12. And we're not going to read it because we can't, but I want to focus on one verse, really technically three verses, I would say it is, that help us understand the whole point of what I think the entire book of Exodus is about, what the entire word of God is about, what the entire presence of the Holy Spirit is for, what the reason why Jesus died on the cross is all about, is that you might know that he is Lord. And that there are no other gods beside him. So let's pray, and we're going to ask. I want to I thank every one of you watching online. And I believe with all of my heart, God is going to speak directly to your heart and to your soul, right where you're at, as much as he is in this room here this morning. So let's pray. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, you say that you honor your word above your name. Lord, you've put your reputation, your stake, everything. You say, if I say it, I do it. Lord, the world is filled with people that make empty promises or failed attempts, but you have never failed once. You are true to your word. You are good. When you say, you do. When you promise, you fulfill. And that's how you want us to know you as Lord. So I pray this morning that you would be here in a special way through the power of your spirit and through the power of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you three verses that say exactly what I'm talking about here. And we'll put this up online for you. I also want to remind you that if you go to the media section of our website at lolag.org and drop down, there's a section where we're adding teaching because we can't really do this. I was a college professor for about 12 years, and we just can't give all of the information, and, and I don't want to get lost in those kind of things, because what I want to do is encourage you, inspire you, but on there, there are things, if you're one of those people that are like, I, I wonder what the background is to this, I want to dig deeper, it's there. We're going to do some of that this morning, but I really believe God's going to speak to us. Let's start with these three verses. Exodus 6, 7. This is where God is talking to, to, to Moses, and he's telling him that everything that he's about to do with these plagues and with this exodus and this deliverance, is that Israel, and you, Israel, he's speaking of, may know that I'm the Lord. 
So God is, is doing this deliverance so, so that his people will be able to have confidence. How many of you have a friend that came through for you in a desperate hour? And then they said, anytime, anywhere, any place, anything. And you know that the next time, if you ever had a crisis, that they would be there at a moment's notice, a family member, a best friend. Those kind of people are, are that's how God is. Anytime, anywhere, any place. I want you to know that I am the Lord and I am... Everything that happens around you, even though it's bad, God says that he works all things together for what? For good. I don't know if that was me. That was God making the point. Supernatural pop there. Look at this other verse, though. Sometimes it's not just for us who are his people. In fact, church doesn't exist for us. It exists for those that don't know him. I don't know if you knew that. We exist that we might make Jesus known. And in Exodus 7, 5, as the plagues are beginning to unfold, God says to Moses and to Pharaoh, he says, but this you, Pharaoh, shall know that I am the Lord. So who is Pharaoh? Pharaoh is this maniacal, evil oppressor. He has enslaved the children of Israel. It's been a legacy that's continued for 400 years. He's irrational. He, he, is, he asks the impossible. He says to them, we give you straw, you mix mud, and you'll make bricks with straw, which was something you do in Egypt, which interestingly enough is something you do not do in Israel. All the bricks there are made with just mud, with clay. The ones in Egypt are mixed with straw and clay, and they make those that way. And so the Egyptians said, no more straw for you. You got too much time. You want to give time to Jesus? That's fine. You know what? We own you 24-7, and now you got to get your own straw. So Pharaoh, what does he do? He asks the impossible, and God says, listen, I'm going to do something for my children. But whenever God does something for his children, he does something that slaps hell in its face on behalf of his children. That the devil that pursues you, that overtakes you, the, the difficulties that, that come against you, God will put an exclamation point to you in your spirit to say, you're my child and I want you to know I'm your Lord. But at the same time, for everyone serving hell and all of its purposes, at the same time, and he says, as for you, I want you to know you're Lord and I'm, I'm Lord and you're not. Do you catch that? And God says to the Egyptians as well, he says to them, he says, I want you to know, you too, that you would know that I am the Lord. He says it to Israel, he says it that the Egyptians, and he says it to Pharaoh as well in 717. And here's why I make this my point this morning, is because if you look through the book of Exodus, 20 times that thing is said over and over and over and over, I am the Lord, that you might know that I am the Lord, that you might know that I am the Lord. God wants you to know something. He's Lord this morning. He's your Lord if you're a follower of Christ. He can be your Lord if you've never really given your life to him or given him an opportunity to understand him. Maybe you're watching right now or maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're saying, well, I, I've never done church. I've never, I've never, you know, I'm not a bad person, but I'm not a good person. I just, listen, God wants to become a part of your life through Jesus Christ to show you that he is Lord. He is God over your problems, over your situations, and he can make himself known to you. And he wants you to know this first point through the plagues that Egypt experienced and through the plagues and problems that you go through. He wants you to know something. He's Lord of the plagues. He's Lord over your problems. 
Hold on, we usually used to do this thing in Pentecostal churches. Whenever a pastor got excited about something, everyone went like this. Just help me out here, ready? He's Lord over all of your problems. There we go. There we go. He is. He's Lord over your problems. Sometimes there's a disconnect with me when I pick up God's word and I look at it and I read the miracles that are there and then I look and I open up my life and I look at the challenges there and somehow I can have all of the faith in the world for the problems in scripture, but I can't seem to have enough ability to carry that into my problems. And I'm, I'm still, after years of doing this, still learning that I need to pause and say, wait a second, God, you're Lord and you're Lord over the plagues. You're God over my problems. You're Lord over my plagues, and you can do this. Now, here's a crazy thing about this, and this is just, let me throw in a, a little piece here. There's a, there's a literal manuscript called the Epure Papyrus. It's in the Netherlands in a museum, and it literally talks about this problem of the plagues. Now, here's the thing. It's not from the time of the Exodus, but there was a cycle that used to happen in Egypt when the water was either too high or too low. It would carve into the red clay. It would turn the water red. It would kill all the fish. All the animals that were in there would want to get away from the water. Then, in turn, the, the theory is, is that, that flies would be feeding off of the carcasses, and they'd have anthrax. And you ever have those horse flies that bite you? They got really nasty ones in Egypt, you know? And, and so they, what they do is, is they go through, and at this point, a lot of people say, well, you know, scholars have discovered papyri that talks about this, and we know that it's a natural thing. Let me tell you something about God. He created the universe. He created this world. He created you. And whether you, you, you know, whether you have the views, all kinds of views of how that happened is not as important as the fact that you attribute and know that it's God that did that. And why would he not use nature to undo itself if he was the one that put it together? I'd be like, that doesn't scare me. That doesn't make me feel like, oh my goodness, we're, we're believing in a, in, a, in a fairy tale. In fact, if you look at the book of Revelation, the bowls and the plagues that are poured out, that is literally God using nature to destroy creation so that he can recreate it. In other words, God says this. He says, I made you. I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it. How many of you had your father say that to you or your mother? I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it. And that's literally what God's doing. So this doesn't freak me out when somebody does this. But look at some of the plagues that hit this nation. Moses comes down and and God says to him, I want you to uh, uh, turn the water. Hold out your staff and we're going to turn the water into blood. And Pharaoh kind of yawns and he's like, guys. Uh, And so they step in. And if you've ever seen the prince of Egypt, by the power of Ra. And they come in and they do their little thing. They throw down. They're not impressed by Moses because Moses throws down a staff and turns into a snake. And the magicians do that. And then he turns the water into blood and Pharaoh goes, yawn. Guys do it and they take some water and then they do the thing. And Pharaoh seems to pay no mind to it. It creates a problem, but they can do it by their secret arts. Plague number two, all of a sudden the water's nasty. Frogs are coming up everywhere. If you like or have ever eaten frog legs, first of all, don't ever serve them at a Super Bowl party. It's disgusting. But if you got to survive out in the wild, I imagine that this can help you. But when there are frogs all over the place, forget it. And it says, here's what happened. That Pharaoh called Moses in and he said, please pray. Pray that the, pray that these, these things will, you know, the frogs will go away. Moses prays and the Bible says that that there was relief, so he hardened his heart. 
Now, even those of you that are here this morning that were not Christians at some time, and when you came to Christ, you can probably identify with that. There was a time where you got desperate and you began to call and ask God for help. If you're up there, God, and you're listening, and, and God showed up, but then it wasn't the thing. You, you didn't take that next step of faith. You didn't do your part. God did his part. You didn't do yours. And what happens is, is you harden your heart. And here's the dangerous thing about the heart. It's like plaster. The more you stir it, the harder it can become. We don't need to be stirred by God's presence and power. We need to be changed by it. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then here's the real kicker, lice. And the Bible says that the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats or lice. It's kind of an interchangeable word here. But they could not. And then this is what the magicians said of Pharaoh. They said, this is the finger of the Lord. Now God is showing himself through this difficulty. Don't think for a second that God ever wastes a crisis. God uses crisis in our life to draw us not only closer to him, but to pull people to him that normally would not look for him. And, the, and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's group are beginning to say, hey, we can't do this. They haven't become believers, and I wouldn't preach that, but... As it goes along here, things begin to change and the eyes of the people begin to get open. Now Moses comes in and he says, all right, here's the next plague. We're going to have flies all over the place, but here's the difference. You're going to have flies in your land, but the land of Goshen where my people are, no flies. How many of you have been here with the, like when it rains flies? There's a honey hive somewhere in here. The, the, the flies go like crazy, and you could be in the middle of service, and they're, they're zooming. I've offered up to $1,000 for anyone that would kill one of those flies flying around. But if you've ever been in a place where like there's a carcass rotting, and there, there's maggots, and there's flies everywhere, imagine an entire nation that's just filled with this. And, it, and the swarms of flies are there, but they're not where the people of Israel are. How many of you know that some plagues we share together? This plague of COVID, we're in this together. Whether, whether you share a, a, a very extreme, fearful view or a very um, uh, nonchalant, uncautious view, or you're somewhere in between, the truth of the matter is, is that this, this, this sickness that's in our country and in our world, we're all in this. And just because we're children of God doesn't mean that every single difficulty is going to be lifted from your life. And that's why so many people, when they come to Christ and they say, I thought God was going to make my problems go away. I thought that I wasn't going to ever. He's called me to be the head, not the tail. He said that I would be blessed in every way possible. Yeah, but sometimes there are things that we need to go through to really be able to get truly delivered. And God said to the children of Israel, this one, I'm going to give you a break. And how many of you have ever watched when things are falling apart all around the world that somehow God holds yours together? Because he's Lord. And he wants you to know that he's Lord. And he wants the devil and he wants the Pharaoh devils of this world to understand that he's God and they're not. They get to play God for a little bit, but they're not the final authority. They're not the final say. And then the livestock says that nothing of all that belonged to the people of Israel died, but all of the Egyptian stuff died. This is where it's not just nature, because it would be a, if it was a disease for cattle, it would be there. If it was a disease, if it was flies, they should just simply be hitting everybody. But for some reason, here, God's supernatural hand is showing, no, I make a difference for my people. I bless my people. I shield my people. And here comes the big one, boils. I don't know what in the world this was, but I think about Job when I think about that. And, there, and, and you know what's interesting? 
is that as the plagues move forward, I think some of you have been, thank you so much for keeping up with me up there. Uh, As the plagues move forward, an interesting thing happens. A few interesting things happen. Let me go back. I was at the livestock. They have boils. Now hail happens. Look at this. Thank you so much, Flavia, for helping with that. When the, the plague of hail happens, he warns them. He says, take your stuff inside. I'm sending hail. Now here's the interesting thing. Sometimes God tells us things so that when we see them happen, we're like, God knew about this. And uh, I I think sometimes we make the prophetic a little bit overreaching. Many times it's just God to show us he's there, he's with us. But here he tells the people to bring in their animals. And you know what? There are some people in Egypt now that are beginning to say, hey, this, this thing, the Lord, it's not just something that their grandparents believed in. This is like serious. So I'm bringing my animals in because I'm sick of the loss and so that even now the Egyptians are getting the memo and they're responding to God. And now he sends locusts. And here's the crazy thing about this. There's nothing that says that the locust didn't devour the Israelites' stuff as well. In fact, they're, they're may, they come in and they fly like crazy. In fact, in Africa, they're experiencing that in a couple of spots right now. But then God turns around and he says, there's going to be darkness. What was it? Was it supernatural darkness? I don't know. Was it, uh, uh, was it a... An eclipse, it could have been. But what's, what's amazing about this is that it's happening when Moses is saying it, right? If I told you God could strike lightning right here, right here, and show us that he's God, everyone would be like, amen, yeah. And if I said, and he's going to do it in five, four, three, two, one, and it happened, you guys would be like, he's God, my goodness, right? This is the power of God working through Moses. He's saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen at this time, and this is so that you might know that God is Lord and you're not. And that you need to let my people go. And we've been saying through this whole theme that if it took 400 years of slavery for the Israelites to get sick of Egypt, to move from their favor that they had with Joseph, to losing that favor, and if it took 10 plagues on Egypt for Pharaoh to finally make that decision to let them go. And if it took them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, why do you think that your problems don't lift immediately? Could it be that God uses plagues and challenges so that you might know that he's Lord in that situation? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, like, just take everything and, and live with it. Pray about it, but if it doesn't lift... You can be like, Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And finally, the last plague that happened was the killing of the firstborn. And this was everybody except those that put blood on the post and partook in the Passover. God does all of these things so that we might know that he is Lord. And that he is Lord not just over plagues, but he's Lord in the midst of them. And it's important that we learn that it's not my kingdom or your kingdom, it's his kingdom. It's important that we realize how we measure what a real gain and what a real loss is. The Apostle Paul says, I consider all things lost for the excellency of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he even said this, in the fellowship of his sufferings. We know how to glorify God in the deliverance. Do we know how to glorify God in the difficulty? Can you be in the middle of loss? You see, because Pharaoh is a great example and Egypt is a great example 
of the wrong way to respond in a plague, but I think that Job is a powerful lesson and, and an amazing individual to learn how to navigate God and Jesus as Lord in the middle of suffering. Think about this. He was the wealthiest man in the world. He had cattle. He had animals. He had children. He had wealth. In a moment, his three servants come up, and they say, all of your stuff's gone, and your children are gone. And Job drops to the ground. He rips his clothes, and he weeps. And and instead of uttering, God, if you, where were you? Why did you? What, What did I do to deserve that? No, he didn't do that. He drops, and with his breath, he goes, God gave God takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. My friend's grandfather was a a very, uh, he was a Bible college professor at a place called Valley Forge when it was called Green Lane, and he was in the middle of a heart attack. And he was only able to get small breaths, but as he was doing it, he went, God is just. God is good. I'm sorry, but when I get pinched, I say, ow! I don't know if I could do that. But I think it's an example of how we could be. And poor Job, in this moment, listen, this does not represent the wives of this community that are rooted and grounded in Christ. This does not speak. God has given me a wife who is completely opposite to this statement. But Job's wife comes up, and he's, he's, now he's covered in boils. He's covered in disease. There's no hope. You look at him and you're like, he's dead. He's going to take his last breaths here. He's on hospice care, no doubt about it, right? And, and, he's, and he's sitting there and he's still, God, you're good. And his wife looks at him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? You mean, you know, when bad things happen to good people, it's because they're not really good, Job. Will you please just curse God and die? How sad. How sad. You know what I've learned in my marriage, and I've learned this from my wife especially, because I'm, I can tend to be the more intemperate one, is this, is that in a marriage you shouldn't fight each other, you should fight your problems together. And as followers of Christ in your marriage, you shouldn't just fight your problems, you should fight them with the Lord and with his help. But Job's wife says, just, just drop dead, and he says, you foolish woman, should we accept only good from God and not difficulty? Can I ask you, for those of you that treat God as an emergency 911 call, that believe that you are always to be blessed, that you never should have difficulty in this life, does that line up with Job's statement where he says, shall we accept good from God and not bad? And then his friends come, and they look at him, and they talk for 34 chapters. 34 chapters in the midst of this man's plague. And Job says, when God has tested me, I will come out of this like gold refined in a fire. The dirt will be removed and the purity will be even more. Can you see your problems as an opportunity for God to purify you rather than the devil just trying to destroy you? I think we give the devil way too much credit. First of all, in the Garden of Eden, he didn't do anything. It was Adam and Eve that did it. All he did was empower them to destroy themselves. That's the only power he has, is to empower you to make the decision to destroy yourself. He, you know, and, the, and we, we put demons behind everything and devils behind everything instead of owning our junk for ourselves and saying, no, that's me. I want that evil desire. I want that wrong thing. I want that fruit. I want that thing. And instead of doing that and the difficulty and the, in the, in the despair 
and the, and the disease and all of those things that we could say, God, I don't understand. I, I know you have the power to lift this. I've prayed for it. But if it's not going anywhere, I want you to know I'm not going anywhere with you except up. I love you. I praise you. And I don't understand, but I give you glory with my life because you are Lord over the plagues. Amen? <laughs> you people got to learn how to clap on beat. <laughs> it's like... Not only did that happen, but, but God wants us to know that he is Lord over Pharaoh. Over Pharaoh. Know that the Lord is above all Pharaohs. <laughs> Every single one of us knows what it's like to have authority over us. Some of us, in fact, have a problem with authority over us. And we get in difficult situations, and we're constantly saying, well, it's their fault. And they, you know, they have this saying in uh, Rhode Island, the Italians say this all the time. They say, yo, you spot it, you got it. When you're constantly saying, they've got the problem, they got the problem. But, th- but there's a difference between having an authority problem and having a downright pharaoh over your life. A difficult problem. And the problem with pharaoh was that the man hardened his heart a whole lot. And what's interesting, in Exodus 8.15, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. That's important for us to hear because early on in the story, God says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now stay with me real quick. Let me tell you something that's amazing about this book. Some, some liberal scholars will tell you that the book of Exodus was not written by Moses, that it wasn't written with Jews in in the land of Egypt. And again, I tell you, if you go to our website, Media and Teachings, we're beginning to upload some there that will help show you. There is tons of evidence, enough evidence that's there. A lot of the, a lot of the people that say that are looking at the wrong time periods and they're, they're reading things different. There's tons of things. But whoever wrote this story of the plague and talked about Pharaoh's heart, Moses, and the Pharaoh that's there, understood Egypt very, very well. There's three, there are 20 times where it talks about Pharaoh's heart. One of them talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart. The other one talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And the third one just talks about and Pharaoh's heart in general. His heart was hardened. It doesn't say whether God did it or Pharaoh did it. But what we do know is that both of them were at work in the decision-making process. And not only that, there's three Hebrew words that are there. The three Hebrew words, the first is really important. It's kaved in Hebrew. It means heavy. And the others I won't get into because it just talks about different things. But this one's really, this one's really important. The other, one, uh, is, is, the other one talks about being strong and bullheaded. In fact, Hezekiah's name and Ezekiel's name, Hezekiah means uh, the, the Lord is my strength. And Ezekiel, it talks about, um, I forget the exact translation of that, but the, that, that one of the words is like strong, like bullheaded would probably be the way that we would see it. But the word kaved, it literally talks in one point in the Bible about the glory of of God, and it's that picture of gold being poured on somebody, and it, it has a sense of value, but it can also have a sense of heaviness. In, in Egypt, your heart was so important that they made sure that they would, they, would, they would encase it. They would leave it sometimes in different areas in the chest and then other times in jars, but it was important because that was where you did all your thinking, where you did all your, your emotions, your thoughts. It was the center of human life, and when you passed on into the next world, they believed that there was this judgment that took place. And the god Ma'at, which is the god of balance, 
Pharaoh was supposed to keep all nature in harmony. And right here, these plagues are a slap in Pharaoh's face. And he's saying, you're not in control of everything. Let me ruin this. You're not in control of this. Let me destroy that. You're not in charge of the Nile. I'll turn it to blood. You're not in charge of the livestock. I'll strike it dead. Hathor and all of these different gods and goddesses. He's humiliating Pharaoh. And they believed at the end of the life, you stood in a chamber where all the gods were. And you were brought before one of the gods. And they took your heart out. And they set it on a scale, and then they took a feather from this goddess Ma'at. And it was not good if you had a heavy heart. It didn't mean heavy heart like, oh, man, I just can't take this anymore. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a wicked heart, that the wickedness is the hardness, the wickedness gave it weight. And if you had a heavy heart that didn't balance out in the scales, then your heart was immediately taken off the scale it was thrown to this animal in back that was, had a, that was part hippo, part leopard, and part crocodile. And it just ate your heart, and you were removed from existence. And when they weighed it, they would ask you questions. You'd have to bring answers. I did no one wrong. I oppressed no one. I murdered no one. I did not steal from anyone. I did not, I did not harm anyone. I did not um, restrain and ruin anyone. Otherwise, you had a heavy heart and you couldn't go there. It's very, very intentional with what's going on in the story here. See, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he does it in a bunch of places. And I think a lot of people here run to chapter 9 of, of, um, of Romans. Romans chapter 9 is a very favored verse talking about, do we really make decisions and are we saved or does God say, this group is going to be saved and this group isn't? And here's the hard language of this story in, Gen- in, uh, in Romans chapter 9, is that God says, I make some vessels for destruction and I make some vessels for honor. Here's the problem of why this isn't really a good argument for a Calvinistic position. And for those of you that don't understand it, don't worry, just let me just share for those that can on this. Here's the, here's the problem. First of all, the language in, in the original Hebrew of the story of the actual events that, that Paul's referring back to in Romans 9, back to Exodus 7 through 14, he uses language interchangeably. It's almost like he's saying Pharaoh is making up his mind and God's making it permanent. And here's the other thing that you have to look at. See, see, because Paul says it right up. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. And he says, do, if I make a vessel to destroy it, or if I make a vessel to bless, what business is it as you? I'm God. You see, God's decisions are based in his character, and God is holy, and he is good, and he, does not, he doesn't give us the whole logical argument, but in the end, we have to look at God and say, I don't understand, but I trust you because you're good. Every decision that God makes is out of his character. And if you look at the examples that he gives in Romans 9, look at the examples. They're the very ones that show you what's going on with Pharaoh and his hardening of his heart, that it's not this kind of like, I pick these people to be saved and these people not to be, but it's I choose to be chosen. He gives the example of Ishmael and Isaac. 
Ishmael's tormenting his brother. He's not a child of promise. And Isaac is, and there's a clear separation. Esau and Jacob. Esau sold his inheritance for a pot of soup. God didn't make him do that. He chose to do that. This, then finally you have Pharaoh and Moses. Or we could go to Cain and Abel. What God is saying is, is you got to choose to be chosen. And when you go through this life, whether you're close to Jesus or you've never heard of him before, that there is an important thing that you need to do, and that is to keep a soft heart. To not allow your circumstances and your, your situation or control of your kingdom be what's in charge, but God invites us to let him be Lord of our heart and do what it says in Ezekiel, that I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And that he says to the children of Israel, he says it like this. He says in Hebrews 4.15, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness in rebellion. Here's what's amazing. The very Pharaoh that had a hard heart that caused Israel to be delivered was the very same problem that the Israelites would deal with when they were wandering in the wilderness of submitting and yielding and trusting to God. And if you think that hardness of heart is just a Pharaoh issue, you are clearly mistaken. It is a challenge to be a loving, godly Christian in a godless, wicked world where people hurt you on purpose, where people, Jesus said, when they spitefully use you. And you have a choice at that moment. Am I going to harden my heart? Or am I going to glorify God and say, Lord, you didn't promise to take the trouble out of this life, but you told me to take heart. You overcame the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Christian walk is one of these things where it's like, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. You know, somebody beats you up and you're like, thank you so much for, you know, for beating me up. I mean, it's not like it hurts when somebody, it hurts. We struggle with this. If you look at the Israelites when they went through the plagues, they wept. Moses even doubted if it was going to happen. God can handle your doubt as long as you're willing to hand it to him. And then you have to exercise something which is the only currency and commodity that God will ever deal with you with. And that is faith based on his promises. Faith based on his promises. See, the Lord wants you to know that he is Lord. He wants you to know that he is the Lord. He wants the world to know that they may feel like they're Lord, but they're not. He wants to know the wicked. They may play Lord for a short period of time, but everyone will stand before God and give an account of what they've done. But that he is Lord through faith in his promises. And the promises of God are yes and amen. Here's the thing that has been a struggle through my life is determining what are his promises and what are my promises that I want him to fulfill for me. It's ironic, but many of the things in a typical normal life and heart that you desire, they're the same and they're in alignment with God. But every single one of us has a very subjective definition. What does hunger in America really look like? I'm sure there are some people that are hungry, but relatively speaking, the average person in the world lives in a mud hut barefoot on a starvation diet and looks more like our pinkies than they do. Yeah. 
Super Bowl party. Nobody's going to be talking about hunger. Like, pass the wings, baby. It's a subjective thing, but God only deals with faith. It's the only currency that he acknowledges. And here's faith. Take your hand, would you, and just kind of put it out like this. And this is what that whole series on the simple gospel is all about. This is a church that despises legalism, by the way. I despise it. It makes me nauseous. Because this is all you have to offer God. It's to be able to say, God, I have nothing. And God said that he came before Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And I'm going to give you children. And you're going to inherit everything that you see as, as far as your eyes can see. And the Bible says that not that he believed the promise, but he believed God. Some of the things that God will give his promises will just be unbelievable. And there'll be a part of your heart that will say, I just don't know how that can happen. But God, if you say it, then yes. And God says, fulfilled. That's how we're going to come before, that's how we come before him to make him Lord of our life. That's how we come before him when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. We're not pulling out of, we're not pulling good works out of our pocket and say, hey, this should make up some of the deficit. We're coming in total bankruptcy and saying, there's nothing I ever had. There's nothing I ever will have to offer you for you to to love and accept me. But please just receive me. I believe what your son did on the cross for me. I believe that you died for my sins. God says, you're righteous. You're righteous. God said, I'm the Lord. Who do you see in God? Is he your pain reliever or your plague reliever? And then you go about your life. Is he Santa Claus? That gives you those things that you really, really hope for and want and wish for. Is he, is he a 911 service that your relationship with him is that you, you call him up when difficulty strikes? And that there's, that's a good plan for your life, by the way, but if that's the only kind of call you ever make to the Lord, you have about as much relationship with him as you do with the local police department. I'm going to ask, I don't know if we can dim a couple of lights a little bit. That might be too much to ask, but there's lots of different ways that you can do art, right? You can paint. I had a friend who, he uh, played a song, and he put a giant canvas up, and he had a ponytail and a palette of paint. And while music was playing at this Christian camp, he did this, he used his hair, his ponytail, as a brush, and... Nobody could figure out what he did, and literally in three minutes when the song ended, he turned and flipped the painting over, and he did a perfect self-portrait of himself. It's the most amazing artistic thing that I've ever seen. There's different ways that you can express art. You can express art through what the worship team does here. Some of you, for instance, uh, I don't know if she's, you're watching, but Linda Krakow is a person that's a part of this church that does amazing art that she sells uh, locally, and I'm sure outside of a church context, if you reached out to her and wanted to see some of her stuff, you would want to add it. it I, have a, I have some really nice, it's beautiful. She's an amazing artist, Linda. I don't know if I ever told you that, but just amazing. My wife and I love and have in our house some of your work that you've done. But I've put together what I want to call just an artistic way to close this. And we're going to turn the music up. We're going to have to probably turn me up so that everybody online can have the same, and everybody here can have the same experience 
that everyone online will, but uh, I want you to listen to my words, but I want you to look at the screen because I want to just sum up together and close, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as this place to prep. This is a bridge to how we'll close with a song and a prayer, but of what I think the whole story of the gospel, the plagues, the promises of God, and what we should see in scripture through just video and doing what I do, my tradecraft, my art is talking. So let's have the music here loud. You ready? You watching the screen? This is my heart for you. I think about Moses and when he was a baby and his mom that she had no option except to put that baby in the river the danger and the threats that were all around him the idea of the Israelites being somebody that studied this the most powerful nation in the world that carved its story in stone put its buildings up so tall and so high nobody's matched it and then I think about Moses having no culture no place to go except the dry land and God saying I'm going to bring you into promise and that's a moment when God said to him you're going to have to trust me Moses I have something you can't see people say seeing is believing Moses would say believing is seeing because later on in Joshua they came into a promised land flowing with milk and honey and sheep and lakes and all of this was promise fulfilled and who would have thought that the Israelites would create a ceremony that they would share for thousands of years that Jesus would take from that culture and offer to every single one of us who aren't Jews to remember his exodus, his death, and his resurrection. And I wonder when you read the word as part of this church, online or here, what do you see? Are you believing is seeing? Or can you be a person that learns to see by believing? That when in Genesis, God said, let there be light, there was light, and he created the universe, and he made every single thing that you and I have, and the dreams that you have, and the promises you want for him to fulfill for your life are not as far out of line than you think they are. They're they're as unique and as different as there are as many people are watching this, and God knows your heart, but God also knows that we are in a life that is plagued plagued with vices that destroy virtues, that strain relationships, that victimize the young, that create devastation upon people's lives and marriages and children, and they carry that disease, loneliness, emptiness. And I wonder to myself, what brought Jesus to want to look at this mess of a world and say, I'll come in and suffer. I'll resist the temptations. It's because he looked at the world and he knew that there were always going to be other people that would try to guide, that would offer hope that leads to nothing except a dead end. And he looked across history and he saw the wars of this world. He saw the death and destruction of the atomic age and the 20th century and the 21st century. He looks at the current wars and that some of you have served in and even into the future of the possibilities of the wars that are coming. And God looked and he said, this is a mess. This is a plague. This is a problem. And when he looked across all of that history, he looked at you as an individual. He looked at me. He looked at us. And he said, I'm going to take 
every single person that ever was and is and will be. I'm going to take their disease. I'm going to take their sin. I'm going to take their shame. And I'm going to carry this cross. And I'm going to do for them what no one can do for themselves. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to liberate them. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to bring an exodus, not just for Jewish people, but for anyone that would put their faith in me. And don't let this world fool you. This is not heaven. But he says to you this, if you would deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You're worthy to be my disciple. Some people say that seeing is believing. God would say that believing is seeing. And as we close here this morning, I would like to ask you, are you hard in heart? God promised and he said that I can remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If you become hardened because of the plagues and the difficulties you face, that instead of turning to God, you've turned from him. Maybe you're watching this and you're in the middle of your own Pharaoh and your own difficulties, and there are things that have plagued you, and no matter how free you want to be, this is the point of the Exodus, no matter how free they wanted to be, they couldn't find freedom. Do you know what? The first two core values of our church is to know God and find freedom. I believe with all of my heart there isn't anyone who wanted to be free from something that didn't continue to cry out to God for freedom and didn't begin to put yourself in places like his word and in his community and in church sooner or later didn't find that freedom, didn't find that deliverance. It took 10 plagues. It took took years, but it happened. Some of us are still plagued with certain things in our life. Don't stop calling out for deliverance for him. Maybe you need God to give you freedom in that area. Or maybe you need to protect your your heart from hardening. Or even worse, to be able to find freedom and to be able to step out of Pharaoh's control, but never to really fully step into the promises that God has for your life. And they're not that far off from what you you would think. There are many good things that God wants to do with you. I've learned, though, that God's timing is perfect. So what I'd like to do is have us stand to our feet. And if you would join me by closing your eyes, bowing your head. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to ask a question, and this can go for every single one of you watching online. Is is there an area in your life where you need God's help? Whether it's you need him to help you see that he's Lord in the plagues and Lord of the plagues. Or maybe your heart is hard and you've never given your life to Christ to say, I, I, I can't earn it, I deserve a cross, but I want, I want to accept that you took that cross for me and that I don't have to do anything except give you an empty, open hand. Maybe, maybe that's what you need. Or maybe what is probably the majority of you that are here is that somewhere along the line, you've lost the ability to see yourself in the story. You've lost the ability to see that God wants to bring you deliverance, that God wants you to be the person in the plague, that God wants you to be that Job, that he wants you maybe even to be that deliverer, that Moses. If you're here and that represents you, I want you just with our eyes closed and our heads bowed here, if you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Keep me in your prayers. Thank you, thank you. There's hands throughout here and maybe even online. You're saying, that's me, that's me. I believe we're gonna pray a prayer that's gonna start you in a direction. But here's the thing. God does the super that precedes us but the next step for us is natural that's we need to get into god's word we need to begin to talk to him we need to surround our lives with people who know him and we need to begin to walk that walk out to know god 
and find freedom together. Listen, knowing God happens vertically with him, and, but finding freedom happens here. If you're somebody that's like, I don't need church. I've given up on church. I just, I, I haven't given up on Jesus. No, that doesn't work that way. Church, Jesus works vertically and horizontally. The church is called the bride of Christ. How can you look at somebody and say, hey man, I really like you, but your wife can't stand her, don't want nothing to do with her. We're not hanging out. We're not hanging out. And that is what is happening for those of you that look and say, I've given up on church. I haven't given up on Jesus. You can't look at somebody and say, I love you. I hate your bride. I want nothing to do with you. Let's just hang out, you and me. It doesn't, doesn't work that way for long. You begin to lose sight of freedom and you become enslaved all over again with things. Maybe there are some of you that are watching right now. And even as I'm saying that, there are vices in your life that, that were gone when you were following Christ. You removed yourself, you isolated yourself, and they're back in your life. You know why? Because you, you know God vertically. You find freedom in the church. This is the temple. They gathered in the temple, but they also met house to house. You need both. You need both. And when pandemic lifts, when's the right time to come back when you're ready? But let's pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just ask right now for those that are saying, I've, I've never, ever asked God for anything. I've never asked him to, to be God and Lord. I've never really seen that he was at work in difficult situations. But right now I see it and I just, I just put out an empty hand and I just say, Lord, would you, would you, would you come into my life? Would you just fill me and forgive me? Would you, would you help me to find freedom? Begin that journey. Lord, do something super. And I tell you, I'm going to do the natural. I'm going to start reading the gospel of John. I'm going to start reading the book of Exodus. Whatever it takes, speak to me. I'm going to find other people that are Christians. I'm going to, I'm going to find a church where they preach your word and I'm going to settle in it. Secondly, Lord, I also pray for those of us who have gotten from a place of believing is seeing to where now we're saying, God, show me and I'll believe. We've lost sight of a supernatural God. We've lost sight that God is at work all around us, that you're not showing up like a lightning bolt and taking off, but you're dwelling with us. You're journeying with us. And there there are quiet moments throughout the book of Exodus. There's long periods of time through the book of Acts, but you do move supernaturally. And Lord, give us faith again to believe you to move mountains, to walk on water. And Lord, that heaven is real. This earth is not heaven. You've not come to bring paradise to us on earth. You've brought us to proclaim the exodus that you're bringing to this world through Jesus Christ, your son, the Passover lamb. Lord, we receive that truth and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed something that was just important for your life, I encourage you, go to lolag.org. At the bottom, there's a tag that says connect. Scan one of those scan things. We want to know about it. We want to pray for you. We want you to take the next step of moving forward in your relationship with Christ. And I just want to say thank you, all of you that have been faithful in everything from coming to watching to giving in person to giving online. What we do would be impossible without you. We love you. We thank you. Go in the grace of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, go home. Ha, 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 ha.